0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit providencetx.org. And we are blessed this morning because we have Darrell Davis from Higher Expectations Church. He's an associate pastor there. And he's going to be our guest speaker this morning, bringing us the word. And he is going to be in Romans eight, verse twenty-eight. So, if you have your Bible with you, would you please uh, turn there with us? And if you didn't bring one this morning, you should be able to find a hard copy um, close by. So, again, we're going to be in Romans eight, twenty-eight. And when you get there, would you please stand with us if you are able for the reading of God's word, verse twenty-eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated, and would you please welcome Durrell this morning? Good morning. I believe it was David who said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it is truly um, an honor to be here with you guys on this morning. Uh, I want to thank, you know, Pastor Cora, Pastor Ty, and the leaders of this church for having me on this morning. It is my first time, I guess you could say, going to church uh, since this whole uh, pandemic started. Our church has been doing the online thing. And this Sunday is actually our first gathering. Um, they're gathering today at 1030 and just the leaders. And then next Sunday, I guess, is full steam ahead from us. So this truly is a joy and a refreshment for me. And so, as she said, we will be in Romans 8:28. Let's go before the Most High in prayer. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you because you, to be honest, you didn't have to wake us up this morning. Not only did you not have to wake us up, you didn't have to wake us up in our right mind, God. And yet you did. And yet we are able to come here, God, and and, and sing praises to you, Lord. And and, and open up the word, Heavenly Father, and, and hear what it is you have for us, Heavenly Father. Not... Not really wanting to take this for granted because even even before a pandemic, God, there are those in this world who could not just freely open up a Bible with other believers and hear what you have. They had to do it in secret, God. But we have the opportunity here, God, to worship and praise you freely, God. And we don't want to take that for granted. We want to thank you for that, Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we look at this text... That is not my words, my thoughts, my opinions, but your facts, your truths, God, that come to us and minister to us, Heavenly Father, to Your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. In 1972. Two athletes, Ray Robinson and Eddie Hart, they were sprinters at that time, and they had worked their way to the Olympic Games, you know, the granddaddy of all events. At the time, both of them were the record holders in the world for the 100-meter dash at that time. And now they have the opportunity in 72 to do it on the biggest stage, the stage that would crown one of them the fastest men in the world. Now, on the day of the race, their coach told them, you know, the race is going to be around 6 p.m., so make sure that, you know, you guys are there and ready to go. And they're like, cool. So around 4.15 p.m. that day, they show up at the Athletes' Village, you know, ready, you know, just, to warm up, get loose, get ready for the race. And while they're there, they turn on the television. And to their dis- surprise and dismay, they're watching a live broadcast of the 100 meter dash. They're, they are confused at first like, this, is this a, like, what, what are we watching? This can't be live. And when they realized that it was, they rushed to the stadium, but it was too late. They had missed their race and have been disqualified their coach had given he had looked at the wrong schedule and had given them the wrong time i mean what a sick feeling that must have been i mean the, all the hard work all the training all all the overcoming of adversity and and the discipline that they that they went through to to participate and they didn't even get to participate all that work and they didn't even get to run the race. It was all for nothing. Have you ever experienced an all for nothing moment? Like people who get student loans, but they don't finish their degree, you know, they often feel like it was all for nothing as they still have to pay those student loans back. You know, I felt that way before I finished school. Or Even there's some people who get their degree and are working and doing things that have nothing to do with anything that they did those four years in school. And sometimes they feel like, man, it was all for nothing. Or this story about these Olympic athletes, that's not uncommon in athletics. There are many athletes who work hard, train hard at their craft and never get to compete and and showcase the work that they put in. Or if I want to hit... A little more closer to home, some of you might be like me and go on these crazy extreme diets for 30 days, lose weight, and then one week in a it's all back. And you're like, it was all for nothing. But more tragically, is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. If you want, you can turn there with me. I'm just going to read verse 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. It reads, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, there are people out there who believe that religion, religion alone, will get them into heaven. They believe that if they do more, Good in life, I live a good life, do more good than bad. If, if they go to church, if they sing in a choir on a praise team, if they join a the hospitality team or the A V team or or whatever it is that the local church needs, they believe that if they do all these things, that will write their ticket to heaven and make them right before God. They will unfortunately though, that doesn't cut it. You know, that those things, those religious acts doesn't save them. It doesn't get them into heaven. Last week, my pastor preached about the rich young ruler found in Mark 10, 17 through 31. And this dude had it all together, right? He, He came before Jesus and he was ready. He was like, look, Jesus was like, man, have you done this? He's like, yeah, have you done this? I'm like, yeah, and he had it all together. And Jesus was like, but give up all that you have. Like, if you, if you really, are you willing to get, and he couldn't do it. See, he came to, he came to Jesus thinking that what he had done would have been enough, but it wasn't enough. And, and it even left his disciples confused because they're like, man, look, if, if this dude has it all together, if this dude is doing all the, I'm not doing what this dude is doing, and he, he still doesn't have enough, who, who can get into heaven? Who, who can be saved? And Jesus' answer is that what is impossible for man is possible with God, for all things are possible with God. You see, that young man probably left feeling like, feeling like all he had done for salvation was all for nothing. Like, look, I came to Jesus, and he left disappointed. Like, I did all this work for nothing. Romans 8.28, however, It brings a promise that when it is all said and done, all the things that we believers have have gone through will not be for nothing. We won't get to the end of the race. We won't endure all these things and find out that it isn't for anything. It's our promise. It's a promise for believers that in this race we are running, when we get to the finish line, we will cross victorious. It will not be in vain. So today, during our time, I would like to answer three questions. The first one is coming straight from the text. Who are those who love God? The second question is, what does all things mean? And the third question is, what is good? You see, Romans 8.28, she read it just a moment ago, is a very popular scripture, both in Christendom and in the world. It's used to encourage people when they're going through or are faced with difficult situations in life. My wife and I, we watch a show on NBC called Manifest. And um, I don't know if anybody, you guys have seen it, but it's not a Christian show. It's a it's a sci-fi, I guess you could say, show. And But the theme around the show is they have this running theme of kind of Romans 828. Like they're always saying... Um, all things work together for good. you see it in the first episode where they they reference out the mother 's favorite verses romans twenty eight twenty eight The flight that they 're on that disappears for five years is flight eight to eight like you see this eight to eight or eight twenty eight theme throughout uh the two seasons they 're always saying man somehow man it, this is going to work together for good all the struggles, all the things they are going through they 're like man it 's going to work together for good, but the show did What a lot of people today do, it only quotes part of the scripture. You see, the text says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God, like I said, our first question is, who are those who love God? Is this a text for everyone? You see, many people claim to love God, but what does that really look like? You see, Jesus tells us what loving God looks like in John 14, 15, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John continues that theme. He actually says that in different ways throughout his multiple times, throughout his letters, including 1 John 5, 3, which says, for, the, for this is the love of God, That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So it's really quite simple and clear, right? Those who don't keep Jesus' commandments, those who do what they want, even though it goes against Jesus' commands, these people are saying with their actions that they don't love God. Like, if you can see in the scriptures that things like fornication and gossip and slandering and adultery and all, all lying and all these different things, if you can see in the scriptures that these things are wrong, yet you have no problem engaging in these activities, then you don't love God. You know what loving God looks like? Like, if I have desire to do X, Y, Z, but the Bible says that X, Y, Z is wrong. Loving God looks like, look, I have this desire, but I'm not going to do XYZ. I'm going I'm to deny my desire. I'm denying my flesh and be obedient to God because I love Him. Does that mean that I will be perfect and never do XYZ? I mean, I hope so, but maybe not. But what it does mean is that I will fight to do what is right and continue and continue to fight even if I lose some of those battles. For those who love God. See, that's an important statement to leave out when quoting this verse, because the statement separates people. You know, the, the, the statement says that this promise is not for everyone. And although this is a great encouraging scripture, it is not encouraging to all mankind. The text goes on to say, all things work together for good. Which brings me to my second question, what does all things mean? You see, I, li- I like this because Paul, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not Thai. I'm not versed in the Greek. But I will tell you, you can be confident that there are no tricks here. You can't go to the Greek and be like, oh, all things actually means yada, yada, yada. No. All things mean all things, which includes actually in the in context what Paul has already been saying in Romans eight what the pastors of this church have already walked through you guys preaching through, like all things includes The law that could not save you. All things includes the flesh that is hostile towards God. It includes the spirit that dwells in you. It includes the adoption, as Pastor Court talked about, into God's family where we can cry out, Abba, Father. All things include the sufferings that we must endure, the groans of creation for redemption, or as Ty talked about, the weaknesses that we have. All these things God is working together for good. Everything in your life, good, bad, and in between is working together for good. Which leads me to my third question where we'll camp out for a while. What is good? First off, know that good leads always to the glory of God. There's nothing that will be good for you that will not glorify God. Because when it's all said and done, God will be glorified. The Bible says uh, in Philippians 1, 11, at every knee, at front 11, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. However, to answer this question, I want us to look at two goods at work in the lives of believers. One of which can have a lot of uncertainty around it, but the other that... Is rooted in what some of the old saints would call blessed assurance. You see, I believe God is working both a temporal good and an eternal good for those who love Him. Let's explore this temporal good. In Genesis chapter 37, we read about Joseph. Many of you have, you know, know the story, but let me just recap. Uh, some of the events in Joseph's life at age 17 his brothers would sell him into slavery and tell their father that he was dead he ended up out of his homeland and in the land of Egypt under control of Potiphar who was one of Pharaoh's guards he finds favor with Potiphar who puts him in charge of his household but runs into some trouble with Potiphar's wife which lands him in prison he finds favor again with the prison guard and gets put in charge there and ends up interpreting dreams of two prisoners. One of the prisoners he found favor with and with that prisoner was supposed to go before Pharaoh and put in a good word for Joseph, you know, to get him out of prison. But as consistent with the story, when that prisoner is in front of Pharaoh, he is freed, but he forgets Joseph. Long story short... Joseph gets his opportunity in front of Pharaoh, and he is so and Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he makes him second in command in Egypt, only answering to Pharaoh himself so this Joseph went from slave in a distant country to ruler second in command of one of the greatest largest nations of that time. His life was. I guess you call it a roller coaster a favor, disaster, favor, disaster, favor. But God used all that to work for good. It worked for Joseph good because at the end, he, he reunited with his family and was able to save them from a famine in the land that he was able to do because he had this power in Egypt. He got his happy ending. You see, we experience this temporal good in our lives today and I know I'm I'm, I'm quite sure I'm not the only one in here who has dated someone who they thought was the one and when it ended was heartbroken like Lord why like this, this this was it I had the whole life planned out like why didn't this work out for whatever reason and you're just heartbroken and now you look back like thank you Jesus that didn't work out like I see, I, I know I'm not the only one. I mean, we're not gonna mention no names, you know. Just, especially not to your spouse. Just think about it in your head. But, but you're glad. You 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 can actually look back and see the how God worked that for your good, even though you was, it, it it was painful at that time. You like, yo God, you was actually looking out for me. But now, but then there are times where you don't see the good, like times where. You are lost wondering, like, how can this work together for good? You know, a few years ago, my wife and I um, were set to adopt. You know, um, I'm guessing it's because, you know, my best friend growing up was, was adopted. And I guess one day, I don't know, when I was late teens, early 20s, like, the gospel adoption just, like, clicked in my head. And I was like, man, whenever I get married, like, I, before I die, I have to adopt. And so, you know, I get married. You know, my wife's on the same page with it. And so we get the opportunity a few years ago to adopt. And, um, like, it was like, it just seemed like everything was like just God. Like, we get a call from her auntie, like, hey, I have this girl I'm working with. She's pregnant, about to have a baby, but she doesn't want to keep it. You know, do you guys want to, you know, adopt a baby? And we're like yes, like, like, this is, this is great, like, and so we meet the girl, go through the processes, you know, she has a doctor's appointment, like, we, we just start getting, like, we're just excited, like, man, God, you've been, we've been praying for this, we've been praying for kids, praying for our family to grow, and this is all about to happen, you working it out, like, even though, you know, the the baby wasn't born yet. Like, we, we loved that baby as if it was, like, right here. Even though the baby was in this girl's womb and not my wife's womb, like, we, we loved it as if it was in her womb. Like, we, we just, we, we saw our future with this child. We, we were just talking about things, like, just way down the line, probably just, like, overboard where we were going. But we were, we were excited. And then one day, one summer, I'm at camp with the kids at our, at our church, and I get a call from her auntie. And she says that the girl was in a car accident and that the girl is okay, but the baby didn't surprise, didn't survive. And I remember leaving camp. I had a couple of leaders there. So I was able to leave them with the kids and drive into my wife and having to tell her that. Now, granted the baby, we never met this child. It wasn't in my wife's room, but we like, you couldn't, like our hearts were all the way there. And this was, we were heartbroken. And in a moment, All all that we had planned, all that we had during, in a moment, it was over. And to this day, from a temporal standpoint, I I still don't really know how the baby dying worked out for good. But what I know is that I love God. And this promise, because I love God, this promise is for me. This promise of Romans 28 is for me, a promise that I can trust. So I believe it even though I don't see it. And that pleases God because that's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith is it, impo- it is impossible to believe God. It is it's impossible to please God. So, and Jesus tells Thomas, if you remember in John 20, 29, that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, when it comes to what, have God, what God has done, looking at the gospel and what he has said, looking at the Bible, we must have faith and know that because God said something, even though I don't see it in my life right now, I need to believe it because God said it. And that has to be enough. so we have this temporal good but then we have this eternal good you know a a good that is everlasting this is this is the good that we will enjoy for all eternity this, this is the completion of God's plan for his glory you see when adam sinned and brought sin into the world he jacked up the world and everything in it Right, Sin created this, this barrier between the creator and his creation. God, and God could have left it like that. He could have been like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to leave y'all to your own doomed faith. But he had a plan to redeem his creation. Ephesians 1.10 says it like this, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God, this is God's plan, Redemption. Everything is leading to the day to where, as Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I will make all things new. Remember, we just talked about Joseph and how God worked all things out for, and he, you know, he got his happy ending and he worked all those bad things out together for good. Well, that was a temporal good. But in this story, there's also an internal good at work. You see, Joseph saving his family worked for the good of God's purpose as this led to the growth of the 12 tribes of Israel, which will become become God's chosen people. In Genesis 315, God promises that a seed of a woman will be the savior to ultimately redeem us and defeat Satan. That's God's promise in Genesis three fifteen that there would be a seed, a Messiah who would save and redeem and defeat Satan. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see Satan trying his best to make sure that this seed is never born. Like if you if you have that in mind and you just reading through the Old Testament. Uh, Just just straight through, you see that, man, Satan is constantly trying to make sure that this seed that because he knows when God said, even though Satan hates God, he knows that when God says something, he means it's going to happen. So it's like God's not going to say something and then it's just like, oh, it might not happen. So he's constantly trying to make sure that this seed is not born. That's the that's one of the big picture themes of the Bible. The Messiah is coming and Satan is trying to prevent it. God uses good and bad to work together for good. Good and bad. Like, not, not, not just good things, but bad things. Like, he even uses sin. Like, like with Joseph, like, his brothers sinned by, by being jealous of him and selling him to slavery and lying about it, saying that he was dead. But God used it in the end to work out for good because they did that evil thing. But then God used that evil thing to save their lives and that they did not perish in the famine in the land all those years later. Or even we'll look at, when talking about the sea. we'll look at one of Joseph's brothers, that sold him, whose name was Judah. Who was, you know, the, I don't know if you guys have heard of the tribe of Judah. Maybe you've heard of Jesus being referenced at the, as uh, the Lion of Judah. But Judah had, you know, he had some sin in his life. Like part of his story we read in Genesis where he had... Two sons by his, three sons by his wife, two of them, the Bible says they were wicked in God's eyes and like God took them out. Like, I don't know what they were doing that was so bad, but he was like, I ain't going to allow them to live. And so his daughter-in-law, the first son, you know, she was married to the first son. He died, so he had to marry her off to the second son. He died. After he died, he was like, yo, she must be the reason my sons are dying so he told, he lied to her, telling her, "Oh like, look, I'm going to take care of you when my youngest son comes. Because women didn't have no rights back then. It was just, they were dependent on men. So he was like, I'm going to take care of you. And my youngest son comes of age, I'm going to marry him off to you. But he lied. And he was like, he never did that. Because he's like, man, if I marry off to her, he's probably going to die. And so he did wrong by her. He treated her foully in the eyes of the Lord. And that wasn't his only sin. You know, he had a fornication issue as he went to, you know, these kids in the room, I'm gonna say fornicate with a with a prostitute, and she dis, she disguised herself as a prostitute and ended up getting pregnant by him with twin boys. And so you have this story of Judah and his life, like all this, this sin, this lying, this, this doing people wrong the fornication. It's like, man, this dude was jacked up and his life full of all this sin, but God used that for his glory. And that the, their firstborn, the twin that came out first, his name was Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, who fathered Ram, who, who fathered Aminadad, who fathered Nesham, who fathered Salmon, who fathered Boaz, who fathered Obed, who fathered Jesse, who fathered King David. And a lot of us know King David, right? And we kind of know his story, how he was on a roof one day, somewhere where he wasn't supposed to be because he was supposed to be at war. He saw Bathsheba. And he was like... That's the one. I got to have her. You know, I, I know I said the same thing when I saw my wife, except she had clothes on. Um, but we we know David's saying, like, he, you know, adultery, you know, with her, um, ended up having her husband killed, you know, to try to cover it all, all up. Like, man, this whole situation was just filled with sin. But God even used that as they had, even though that first baby died, you know, they had another baby whose name was Solomon, and he became king. And, and, and after Solomon, I can continue down the list of father and son, father and son, father and son, and all these sins that almost ended this line that started with Judah. The line almost ended with Judah from him doing wrong, but you can go to list, down a list and see how this line almost ended, and you might ask, why is this important? What does this have to do with Romans 8.28 and the eternal good? Well, Genesis 49 tells us that the promised seed, the one from Genesis 3.15, would come from the line of Judah. So when I tell you, you see this theme in a Bible about Satan trying to make sure that the, this line ends so the seed would not be born. Well, Judah's line is that, the line that gives you King David, the line that gives you Solomon. God uses these sins to continue this line. And, it, and if you continue down the list, you will, you will see that around a thousand years late after Solomon, his descendant Joseph becomes father to a baby born in a manger. And he calls that baby Jesus. And, and, and that baby grows to be the fulfillment of Genesis 315, the seed that will defeat Satan and be the redemption of all men. You see, the whole Bible is a story of Romans 8.28. The whole Bible is God causing all these things, both good and bad, and all our sins to work together for his ultimate purpose. You see, God does nothing by accident. this, This verse closes out saying, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, everything is purposeful, including your calling, both your calling to the gospel and your calling after salvation. One of my favorite preachers, Pastor Terry Anderson of Lily Grove Missionary Baptist Church, said this when talking about Romans 8:28. He said, "The reason Satan is so angry all the time. It's because whenever he works a clever piece of mischief, God uses it to serve his own righteous purposes. Like, like every time Satan does something clever, like, I got him. Because there's some times if you read the Old Testament where like the, literally the line of Judah was like within one baby dying of being over. And Satan, I'm sure at those moments, thought he had it and God used it for his own purpose. There's been times where I've been playing football or, or basketball even, and, and I get there, and I'm like, man, every move I got on a dude guarding me, is like he has an answer for it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go right this time. So I fake left and go right, and he already right before I get there. I'm like, how do you know? Like, this is so frustrating. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to win, and you're not allowing me to. So that's how Satan must feel with God, except a lot worse. <laughs> Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose are one and the same. See, I'm not going to go deep into those who are called today because when Paul says this, it really is pointing ahead to verses 29 and 30. And I know the pastor of this church will continue in, that, in the exposition of this amazing chapter, this amazing letter. But what I do want you guys to know as I close is that if you are a believer If you love God, this verse is a promise that you can take to the grave. Nothing in your life can derail God's purpose for your life. Nothing in your life will lead to your ultimate doom or your ultimate destruction. All things in your life will work out for good in the end. We talked about good a little bit today, but we only scratched the surface because we, we don't see what God sees. We, we see life as it happens. God sees life all at once. Like I was running late to a meeting one day. And I was praying to God like, God, like, oh, I need to be on time. God, please help me to make it on time. Like just move everybody out of my way and just let me just fly, fly through. Like safely get there. Good. So I'm going. I'm like, it looks like I'm going to make it. And then bam, I miss a light. And it was a run. I went them quick lights. It was a long light. And I was like, man, that's it. I'm late. And my sinful self had the nerve to legit be mad at God like it was his fault that I was late. And it, obviously, it was not his fault I was late. But in a moment, that's what I'm thinking. Like, God, it's, it's like you could have just, like, you all powerful. You can do anything. You could have held that light green just a little bit longer. It's not like you didn't know. It's not like I wasn't here praying, like, God, please help me to make it on time. But he didn't. For me, I missed the light that made me late. That's all I saw. But what God may see, and I'm not saying this is the case, but what God may see is that if I make this light, the enemy has a trap set up for me to where I would get in an accident and die. And, but God says it's not my time. so he prevents that by causing me to miss the light. Now, if I had to choose between missing a light, and dying in a car accident, pretty sure I'm going to pick, you know, miss this light. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that. I don't, I don't see that. So I'm just at this light mad where who knows? God is probably looking like, look, you mad? You don't even know what I just, what I just did for you. And I don't. There's certain things that, that, that we know, like, man, this is God. Like, God, you thank you because you blessed me and you, you've done this for me. But sometimes when I pray, I have to say, you know, God, thank you for all that you did for, done, did for me today that I don't know about. Thank you for all, all the things that, that I miss that I didn't even know I was in danger from, God. Because just because I don't see it and I'm not paying attention doesn't mean that God isn't for those whom he loves. God is consistently working things out for good. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we don't. But for when we don't, we need to find comfort in the Word and in the promises of God. That for those who love Him, all things work together for good. Let us pray. God, we we thank you, Heavenly Father, for Your Word. That it is true, God. That that because of your word we have the opportunity God to to be bold and say like no God said this so it must be true even if it goes against everything that I see even if it, even if it confuses me I'm like no God I'm going to believe it because you said it God maybe someone out here is struggling with that God they're like they're, they're like Thomas like nah, I I have to see to believe God but I pray Heavenly father that you, you, your, your spirit works in them, Heavenly Father, and that they learn to trust and believe in you despite what they see so that they too will be blessed, as you said in, in Matthew. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Heavenly Father. We magnify you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.